0: Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is the third episode in the new revamped version of our podcast, our department store of podcasts, in which we have various segments going on. So without any further ado, let's jump to the first segment. Our first segment is always about something that interests us in food or something that is newsworthy in food. I don't know that this is so newsworthy, but it is interesting. It is. Today, we want to talk about tinned fish. Tinned fish. Now, you know what we mean. We mean those nasty sardines
1: in that can. Except it's not always nasty, and we're not just talking about sardines. No. Most people are familiar with tin fish as in tuna, right? And they call it tuna fish. I don't know where well, they have to word, have but Fish after tuna. What oh, else is a tuna? I call it salmon fish. It's a, it's a tuna dog. Bass or, fish. <laughs> it's a tuna giraffe. Swordfish fish. <laughs> so anyway, go ahead. So people yes. know about tuna, and people know about
0: sardines. And I want to say, I want to stop right here and say, when I was a little kid. My favorite lunch, I was a very strange kid. Were nasty, bad canned sardines on Wonder bread with mayonnaise. I realize mm, I with was with the
1: bones and the skin. <laughs> I was a strange child, but there you go. So the thing is, you can get sardines the way you used to eat them—nasty with the bones mm, and the skins yum. and some disgusting oil product. Oil product. You can get some really nice, high-end tinned fish. There are sardine fillets. There are mackerel fillets as well as whole mackerel. And there's a whole bunch of other, you know, you can get octopus in a tin and you can get smoked oysters in a tin. And some of these are really good. So let me tell you how we got onto this. Can I give this story?
0: Please. Okay. So here's how we got into this. We were in Boston. We had just finished writing a cookbook. We were in Boston. Um, We took a little weekend, long weekend away, you know, as a break after having done the ordeal of another 9 million recipe cookbook. And we went to Boston. We were around the Fine Art Museum late at night. I love to go to museums in the evening when no one's there. We went to the Boston Museum of Fine Art; it's fabulous. And afterwards, we had a reservation, kind of, sort of, <laughs> not really, at a place called
1: Hale Dot Henry. So the way the reservations worked is they don't take them. But I had spoken to them on the phone and told them that we really wanted to come. So what they said is, you know, they have some tables and a bar, and they said when two seats open up at the bar. I will call you, and you will have 15 minutes to get here before we give them away. That was how we had a reservation.
0: (laughs) Thank God for Uber. So we did. They called us at the museum. We got there. And what happened is we got chatting with the owner, and she had lived in Portugal for a long time. She had gotten extremely interested in the high-end tend fish that she could find there. She came back to the United States. She couldn't find anywhere. She started a little import business. And now she runs this wine bar that is connected to her import business of high-end tinned fish. And this place, I should tell you, is Henry, And we're going to tell you about their website in a minute.
1: So the menu, for the most part, is just tinned fish. And you can order a tin of this, a tin of that. And it comes at you on a slate platter with a bag of potato chips. Mm. The tin is mm. open. They mm. serve it right in the mm. tin. And mm. we mm. It come with some lemon wedges and a mm. bag of potato chips. Mm. And it was... And some bread, I think. I think yeah, bread and bread, too. It, I think it depends on which you order. Some they serve with bread. Some they serve with rolls. Some they serve with potato chips. And it's it was an overwhelming experience for us because we never had such a thing we neither no. of us knew about good tinned fish no. we only knew about Mark's disgusting sardines <laughs> on white bread with mayonnaise and I only kind of knew about because mm. I knew about good yellowfin tuna in olive oil And I, but I didn't know about mackerel fillets those were amazing so
0: this place is Hale and it, when I say dot Henry it's literally Hale and then a period mark <laughs> Hale period mark Henry hail dot Henry but they have a website Hail Henry no dot in there right? Hale. yeah Henry.com. and if you go out to their website l slash gear look up the the subheader gear you'll see all the 10 fish that she
1: is currently importing and it's wild stuff well they sell out too so yeah you, you'll never know what there's going to be but recently I saw these mackerel fillets and mustard which mm. are in my cart to order that's mm. what they have in stock now I mean what are some other things they have they, at the well, moment
0: they had uh, mackerel and piri piri which we got which is a very spicy Peppery sauce. And that's not fillets. Those were the whole little mackerels. Yep. And they had stuffed calamari. Uh, stuffed with rice in tomato sauce this all is way beyond what you would expect but don't think you just have to go to hailhenry.com or their restaurant Henry in boston to have such a thing yeah you know, like whole foods carries cole's wild market and they make um a, a, something that we like a lot which is the mackerel and olive oil um cole's wild market is a brand of tan fish that's pretty high-end and there's also this uh more downscale i guess uh stuff that we can even find at our stop and shop in rural, rural yeah, new england it's
1: king oscar and now they're known for their sardines and they are a high-end supermarket sardine so you're right. going to spend four dollars a ten as opposed to twelve dollars a ten and we do have to say that those super high-end portuguese stuff at hail henry can run anywhere from 10 to 15 dollars a tin but even at our local stop and shop for 4 bucks I can get the King Oscar and they now have these boneless mackerel fillets in lemon oh, and in the pepper stuff in lemon is really good and they rival that that 15 dollar tin and
0: i have to tell you that that we had we can guess here a couple of weeks ago thank Science for vaccines. (laughs) And we had, we can guess here, we put out a whole spread of this tin fish on the deck with, you know, opened a bottle of wine, put a whole spread out of different mackerels and all this kind of stuff. Bruce also made whitefish salad, I should add to this. But anyway, we sat out on the deck and it was absolutely fantastic. We had all of these different kinds of tin fishes, lots of crackers. We had all different kinds of little toppings for them. Bruce even bought some flying fish roe that we could. Mm -hmm at a Japanese market to use that's going over the top to use as a little topping on them but it
1: was beautiful to sit outside and the fish was so tasty I have to say something about that flying fish row though there's this little market in West Hartford Japanese market I don't remember the name of it but it's right across the street from whole foods they have these little tubs of flying fish roe that are only six dollars and i have seen these things online to ship overnight for 30 bucks a tin (laughs) so i was like what yeah i
0: know it's really insane that 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 you can get this stuff at these smaller markets but so uh, to wrap up our big thing is that there are All kinds of importers now bringing in higher-end 10 fish, 10 mackerel, octopus, oysters, clams, all kind of stuff. And you should try it because this is not the nasty cat food stuff that I liked (laughs) as a kid. This is actually decent, delicious. It's often in high-end olive oil, lemon, piri-piri, peppers, chilies, delicious stuff. Easy, easy deck food for the summer.
1: Okay, now we're on to segment two in, as Mark says, our department store of a podcast.
0: And this segment is our one-minute cooking tip, and Bruce is up with his. Go.
1: Never smash your burger down when you're cooking it, unless you're making a smash burger. But let's first <laughs> explain what I'm saying. You put a burger on the grill. You put a burger in the skillet. You put a burger under the broiler. A patty. A patty. You can cook it. You could flip it as many times as you feel like. I'm not one of these people that says you must flip it only once. But when you're flipping it, never smash it down with a spatula because all you're doing is squeezing all the juices out of it. Mm. Now I know people like to do that on the grill because it it gets the fat out and it makes the flames shoot it up. Does. And that's a lovely thing. But if you have a high enough fat content burger, the flames will shoot up anyway and you won't have to do that. So the tip is when you're doing it on a grill, use a high fat meat and never smash it down. Now I said, don't do it unless you're making a smash burger. Well, if you're not familiar with it, we do have a video up on our YouTube channel, Cooking with Bruce and Mark of me making smash burgers. That's when you take a thin burger patty and you smash it down in a cast iron skillet so that you get a good thick crust and there's no juice left because you're smashing the hell out of it. But don't do that if you're cooking it on a grill.
0: Okay, up next, Bruce has an interview with cookbook author
1: Ali Rosen. Check this out, here it comes. So this week we're talking with Ali Rosen, the culinary force and culinary genius behind the show and website hot luck with Allie. Allie has been nominated for a James Beard Award, two Emmys, and two IACP Awards, and was named a Forbes 30 Under 30. Hey, Allie, welcome.
2: Thank you. I need to have you as my publicist. That sounded great.
1: So I want to talk about a new book that you wrote that just came out which is called Modern Freezer Meals. The recipes look delicious. The photography is gorgeous. But I want to ask you up front, tell me why you wanted to rethink the way we freeze dinner.
2: It's interesting because obviously it's a topic that I think it, most people in culinary circles it's like the thing we don't want to talk about right like freezer food is not the sexy cool thing that anybody is talking about but it's the thing that we all turn to you know and I I really started to come up with the idea for the book um, my mother was sick and we don't live in the same city and I would go to visit and you know I made her a bunch of meals and put them in her freezer so I was like okay I can be there you know when she's not there and that became, the best way to sort of show somebody love was to deliver a meal that didn't have to be eaten you know, within the next day or two. It was just kind of there as a present. I mean, modern freezer meals as a name really came from this idea of modernizing freezer meals and saying like, this doesn't have to be like the sad casserole that's like shoved in the back of your freezer that then stays there for you know, five years and then you throw it out.
1: I love the idea as food is gift and you don't have to eat it right now. That's that's really terrific. So the front of your new book, Modern Freezer Meals, you offer up some really fabulous tips for how to freeze food successfully and how to make sure that when the food comes out, you don't end up with sad food and a sad casserole and freezer burn. One of your tips that I really like um, is about cooling your food before you freeze it. Why do I have to do that? Well,
2: I think a lot of people forget that freezing is a science, you know. And and just like I think in recent years, there's been a lot of talk about cooking in general as a science. I'm hoping that people are now also ready to get a little nerdy and think about the science of freezing. So when you freeze food. Um, ice crystals form the faster something can freeze the smaller the ice crystals are you want to maximize you know for the food freezing as it is and not for having these very large ice crystals that sort of puncture the structure of your food right that's where your food starts to taste weird and kind of that freezer burn taste that we all you like you know i'm saying it now and i'm sure you're like you can feel it in your mouth it's like you know that horrible freezer burn it's more about the speed at which something freezes so If your food is cooled down before you put it in the freezer, it's going to freeze faster. So a lot of the sort of, we take these steps to like, put it in like a great container and do all these things. And then we stick something hot in the freezer and you're just setting yourself up for disaster. So if you don't have time to cool it down, it's fine. Stick it in the fridge and then stick it in the freezer later, you know? But either way, you want to make sure that it's cool um, before you put it in so that it can freeze as quickly as possible and maintain its structure as much as possible.
1: So what I'm hearing is that it's more about the food, which I think most people probably thought it was about the freezer because yes. you don't want to overtax your freezer, <laughs> but it's about making sure the food stays better. You also say air is not your friend. Why is that? Yeah, I mean,
2: air is really the thing that gets to freezer food. So when again, that outside sort of freezer burn, I mean, it comes from loss of moisture, right? So what's happening when something sits in your freezer over time is that it, it it starts to degrade, but more slowly than it would when it's sitting in your fridge. And air is the one thing that can kind of suck that moisture out of it. So if you freeze something properly, you freeze it quickly, you wrap it up in a way that there's no air that's able to get to it. I mean, that is what will make your freezer food last um, as long as it's packaged properly um, because there's no air in there that's able to kind of suck the moisture away and start to, we say burn, but I mean, it really is like it's burned, you know, because we're sort of altering the exterior of it in the way you would if you burned food. So get the air out, keep it cool. And, you know, things can last in your freezer a lot longer than you might think.
1: Well, give me an idea of length of time. I think that a lot of people worry, you know, how long can I keep a frozen casserole? How long can I keep soup? If
2: you want to give a rule of thumb, I say usually six months. Um, But that is, you know, I, I put a huge asterisk next to that because if something is sitting in the back of your freezer for five years, it's going to have degraded in flavor. Now, the better of a freezer you have and the better that you packed it and the quicker you froze it from the start,
1: the Ali Rosen guide to properly freezing our food.
2: In general, I was going to say six months.
1: So I went through some of your recipes and there was some really delicious sounding stuff and a couple of interesting techniques. So you have a beef stew that not only do I love the mm. idea of putting blueberries and peas in a beef stew. what's That's such a great idea. You put them in after you've cooked it and before you freeze it tell me why
2: yeah so you know i think with any kind of stew it's all about the like the ingredients that melt and then the ingredients that pop you know and you you want to have that textural flavor otherwise you just get into mush like i was not a person who grew up with like goulash and things of that nature like i like texture um So the blueberries is something, I mean, it's really like the weird thing that I did as a little kid and everybody told me I was weird. And then as I got older, people were like, oh, wow, that's creative. It's like, see, I'm vindicated. Um, But I, you know, I like to put, you know, the blueberries really go in in stages, you know, so you get some of that flavor in there by adding it in early, but you really want to add blueberries and peas at the end because they really do pop, you know, they really do give you that textural element And I think that's kind of the fear with stews and with freezer food in general is that it's just going to kind of be mush. So um, by leaving it till the end, you kind of get that texture with it rather than just kind of sad
1: stew. And in that recipe, what's really great is you say to add frozen peas at the end, which is brilliant because you're quickening up that chill down process by adding the frozen peas so we're just getting all of the proper way to freeze it built right into your recipe
2: yeah and freezer peas i mean i I think that it's funny because one thing that has become more acceptable in recent years is frozen vegetables you know people use them all the time because they're flash frozen um they maintain pretty much the exact same level of nutrients they're easy they're great um so there's no reason to not use them, and the, you know, in recipes you're gonna freeze again. I mean, they they do great. So yeah, I love freezer peas are like you know a major staple in my house.
1: They're a major staple here too, but I have the ones that we use as ice packs for sprained shoulders <laughs> marked <laughs> yes. because the last thing you want to do. <laughs> Is take that bag of freezer peas that you've used over and over for a swollen knee and put right. them in your beef stew.
2: Forrested and deforested many times over. You have
1: another recipe in the book that just, it struck me as like, well, duh, of course, but no one's done this. Frozen twice-baked potatoes. It's such a great idea. How come no one else has done this? You're a genius. So tell me about frozen twice-baked potatoes.
2: Thank you. I'll take the accolades. There are so few things that you can just sort of like stick in the oven straight and just let it go. And so, I mean, we all love twice baked potatoes. They're also, you know, infinitely customizable. I mean, if you have, you know, a family where different people like different things, you know, you can have some that are vegetarian and some that are not, you can have some with cheese, some that are not, you know, you can add different flavors and then you can label them or not. So you get a surprise when you put them back in, but you know the, the great thing to just if you're making one baked potato, put ten potatoes in the oven, cook them, and then stuff them and freeze them for later. And then all you have to do is throw them in your oven. I like to sort of have those gifts for to my future self. You know, like okay, the days that I am too lazy to cook, I have something in my freezer, and it doesn't it doesn't feel like a compromise on what I'm eating, you know, and that I think is the goal. And a lot of freezer food sort of gets assumed as these like very large, like lasagnas and things that are not individually portioned. Um, but a baked potato is like the perfect portion size.
1: You talk in the book a lot about portioning and how that is so perfect for freezer food, because you can make just enough for you or for two, and you don't need to freeze the whole lasagna, as you put it. But I think that it's also great for timing because let's face it, if you put an entire frozen lasagna in the oven, it's gonna take a really long time. The portions
2: don't take quite as long. No, and I think it's also, you know, when something defrosts and then starts to cook, um, the outside surface area of that is always gonna cook more. So um, I have a whole chapter on pastas in the book and people are always sort of shocked by that. They're like, well, but it's gonna overcook. And it's like, well, if you froze it in a single portion, And then you put it in the microwave and you stir it as you go, you're not overcooking any part of it. And I think that's where that stereotype comes from is like we make soup and then we freeze it in like a giant block. And then we're shocked that it sort of tastes overcooked. And it's like, well, because the exterior is overcooked while the interior is frozen. So if you do things in single servings, it's not like it doesn't mean that I'm not gonna heat up five servings at a time. It's just that it will heat up better if it was frozen and cooked individually once it comes out of the freezer. So even if you're making stuff for a whole family, it's better to freeze it individually because it, because I hate defrosting. Like I'm so lazy as a cook on the time when I want to be lazy, I want to be lazy. I don't want to have to remember twelve hours before to take it out. So I mean, like two-thirds of the book does not require defrosting. Um, which because I, I just I hate I hate having to remember.
1: And if you're not defrosting, are you talking about throwing it in the microwave or throwing it in the oven?
2: Depends on the recipe, but I mean I, I'm I am very pro microwave. And again, like I, I feel like we're making a turn on this. I mean, David Chang is writing a book with like, a whole chapter on microwave. So I guess we're about to say microwaves are cool again, but I mean, the microwave is an incredible device, you know, that heats food very quickly. Um, It doesn't take a lot of power. I mean, to turn on your whole oven, you know, requires a lot more energy. Um, And I I think the microwave has gotten a bad rap you just have to use it properly you know you have to understand it heats differently than an oven and once you know how to use it it's an incredible tool
1: and what's your advice on throwing the food in the microwave from the freezer keeping it in the packaging that you froze it in or taking it out and putting it in something else well
2: i'm a huge fan of any packaging that does all of those things, you know? So, I mean, I, I particularly like the sort of glass containers with plastic tops that can, I, can go right into the freezer then go right into the oven um, or go right into the microwave because I, it just makes your life easier. Um, you know, a lot of people, you see a lot of freezer stuff where they're like freeze it in Ziploc bags and press it flat and then stack them up. And I'm like, that looks really nice for your picture but um, how do you defrost that in the microwave when it is like a giant sheet Um, So, I mean, I tend to like to freeze it in the size and container that I'm going to reheat it in.
1: What other advice do you have for people who want to freeze food but are still hesitant and they're like, oh, freezer food, really?
2: Start with like one or two things, put it in your freezer, and then you become obsessed with it. Because especially now that a lot of people are working from home, it's like you just want something quick to eat. And when you have it, you're like, oh, man, I'm so pleased with myself that I did this, you know? Um, it's also, I mean, I, the the book has these little badges um, to sort of indicate sort of what their sort of easy levels are. So there's like a no defrosting badge. Um, there's a cook straight from, you know, frozen badge. And then there's um, a 30 minutes or less badge. And so I would also say, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of people also assume that like, oh, well, if you're freezing something, you're making like a really intricate thing that then you want to save for a long time. I mean, Some of the pastas take 15 minutes to make, and you might say to yourself, "Well, why would I then need to freeze that? I'll always have 15 minutes to make pasta." But we all know that we don't always have 15 minutes to make pasta. So, and
1: we all um, don't always have those ingredients on hand at that moment. Right. So you're adding an hour to the store and 15 minutes to cook it is also doesn't count the cleanup and everything else. Exactly. So I get it. I'm with you. Yeah. That really makes sense. You know,
2: look at look at those recipes that are quick and start there and and follow the instructions as they are written. You know, I think people like to writ and, you know, make it their own. But I think when you're getting started with freezers, like do not take the shortcuts that seem like they are worth taking because I promise you, like I tried every shortcut. Like I am lazy. So I really, really want it to take as little time as possible. And if it is in the book, it's there because I could not make it shorter.
1: Hallie Rosen, we are looking forward to all cooking out of Modern Freezer Meals. And uh, tell us where people can find you with potluck with Allie. What's going on. Tell me about the website and the show.
2: Thank you. Yes. Well, hopefully the show will be coming back in the fall. You know, we've had our lovely extended COVID hiatus. We did sort of one zoom season and I don't think that was the greatest choice. So um, (laughs) as with a lot of things that happened on zoom, Um, but you can always find me at potluckwithallie.com and I'm a pretty um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm an Instagram lover. So I'm Ali, A-L-I underscore Rosen on uh, both Instagram and Twitter. So, you know, some other Ali Rosen got there first. So I have to have the underscore, but I'm there.
1: I hate that someone else got Bruce Weinstein on Twitter first and I have to be Bruce A. Weinstein. Yeah,
2: exactly. It's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it's very frustrating. Ali,
1: thank you so much for talking with me on Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I hope we speak again soon.
2: Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
1: Before we get to our last segment, I do want to remind everybody to share this podcast, like this podcast, leave a comment, leave a review, and go to our Facebook group, Cooking with Bruce and Mark, and join in the conversation.
0: Let's move on to our fourth and fifth. Final segment, which is what is making us happy in food this week. And Bruce is gonna start off and we don't know what each other is gonna say. So we'll <laughs> Why see. Do if I we... always
1: have to start okay. off. We'll see if we say the same thing. Okay. <laughs> what makes me happy this week? Strawberries. It is spring. It was when we're recording this. It is the beginning of June. Spring is popping up, and strawberries. In New England in, in New the
0: England. United States.
1: And strawberries are in. The first of the local strawberries are in. And in fact, I bought a flat this weekend and I made 13. pints of strawberry jam.
0: Well, then, you just stepped on mine, because my thing, you can like strawberries. My thing was your strawberry jam, Uh, and that is making me very happy this week. (laughs) Bruce made tons of strawberry jam. Uh, He says jam. He's using the wrong word, he says, the writer, as the prissy writer here. He made strawberry preserves, and the preserves are spectacular. They're delicious. The strawberries are super fresh right now. They um i had it on toast this morning with some really good butter it was just the perfect thing it's totally making me happy do you preserve do you can you should try it if you want to try and get into canning we have a couple videos up on our youtube channel cooking with bruce and mark one in which bruce makes refrigerator kimchi now is the time to make it in the summer and you can make kimchi at home and don't worry about fermenting it at at, at room temperature this is the well i mean or burying it in your yard that's the real thing but this is how to do it in the refrigerator or bruce has a fantastic video up on how to make refrigerator bread and butter pickles so you don't have to can it you can just start your easier way into preserving it's a gateway drug to strawberry
1: preserves so that's it for this episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Please subscribe so you don't miss a single episode, and we will be back, won't we, Mark?
0: Yes, and let us know. Uh, there's a Facebook group, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Let us know how we're doing. Do you like this 10 fish, Ellie Rosen smash burgers, and what's Mania's happy food this week? If you like this new format? We'd love to hear from you. Check out that Facebook group, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. You can join in the, from there and come back because back next week with a whole new department store of it- <laughs> episodes like cooking with bruce and mark